Welcome to the Crushing Cashflow Podcast, where we share phenomenal advice and dozens of decades of wisdom from investors and entrepreneurs of all types and all stages of their journeys. We'll cover many forms of cash flowing assets, such as real estate, stock investing, entrepreneurship, and general finance guidance. Listen in and learn from those who are crushing it out there, as well as those who have been crushed by business or their investments. Now, here's your host, Andrew Shutsky. Welcome back to another wonderful episode of Crushing Cashflow. Today's guest is a special one. He's a short-term rental developer and manager. He served in the Marine Corps for four and a half years where he was stationed in DC as part of their honor guard. He left the Marine Corps at a young age of 22 to pursue his career in real estate. He's a founder and CEO of Sargon Investments and has a goal of developing over 650 cabins, which is a unique one, in the next three years. He's also the host of a YouTube channel, Alex Builds, where he teaches the ins and outs of short-term development and management, which will be the topic and headline for today's episode. Big welcome to Alex. Alex, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me on, man. So tell us about, you know, we got to start with, I learned that Alex is a Guinness world record holder. Let's start with the fun icebreaker. Tell us about that. Yeah. So actually I was a magician prior to the military and then it's always stuck with me. So when I was a kid, I used to go through that book at the Guinness world record book and stuff. So I was like, just sitting around one day after I got out of the military, I'm like, I want something that's like, I would love to break a world record, something easy that's not going to require a crap ton of training or anything. But I was like, something that's tied to coins or cards or something. So the world record's actually like the furthest distance to roll a coin, which is just funny. I just went on their website and I was like, what's the easiest thing I can do? <laughs> How did you land that? Like, is there training involved? This is more of just a fun, not related. No, to absolutely not. <laughs> Interesting. No, it was, I found like my buddy owned a gym and he had like a very open stretch of like concrete. Essentially, I just whipped a coin as hard as I could. Again, it was just one of those things. That it wasn't that difficult. I just had a couple people with their phones out on their cameras. And I sent, you don't have to have a person come out. It's okay. Like you just I was send wondering them the that. footage and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So maybe you can carry some of that world record breaking over to short term rentals. That's, oh, I bet somehow. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. So I'm a short-term rental owner, and I think we talked about this a little bit before before it kicked off, but I had never really thought about developing versus buy. So why develop from the ground up versus buying something turnkey? Yeah. So when I started, when I left the military, I moved here to Asheville, North Carolina. And long story short, when I started looking for stuff in my price range, stuff was either way out of my price range on the short-term rental side when I first started, or it would have done well as a long-term rental, but not necessarily a short-term rental. There wasn't necessarily anything unique about it. So the very first project, the very first real estate investment I ever did was a new construction, ground up development. It was an 800 square foot cabin. And the reason why I like the short term rentals aren't necessarily new anymore, right? So it's like, Mm -hmm. I feel like even with higher interest rates, people are still purchasing short term rentals. Sure. And the competition is pretty aggressive, especially in the markets that are doing really well. So people aren't really attacking that angle with the development. You have complete control over the property. You can't you don't really waste any square footage. We like to optimize the floor plan as much mm-hmm. as possible. And then there's something unique about the property. So we develop, we're in the mountains. So I like to stick to like A-frames, log cabins. We're playing around with tree houses, cottages, stuff like that. And I like to develop properties where like the property is an experience in itself outside of the city that the guest is visiting. And that plays into the seasonality a little bit as well as during the slow season, the property becomes the attraction. And during the high season, the city or the market becomes the attraction. So that's why I like to develop over purchasing. And it even with higher 
costs, mm-hmm. it still tends to be a little cheaper than purchasing. Obviously, it just takes longer because you got to develop the property. So, yeah, and from a cost standpoint, that's probably top of everybody's mind. Of course, I'd love to have something shiny, brand new, and less maintenance. What percent would you say ballpark? What additional percentage are you spending, maybe per square foot or percentage, whatever is easiest on, you know, it's say yeah. you're a 20 year old property versus new? Yeah. I mean, so we do purchase properties that are already built and we try to get them below what, what essentially replacement value, like what we would be building it at. I've never really thought of it in terms of a percentage. I just know how much it costs to, for the most part, how much it yeah. costs to build in my area. And right now, it, like, like I said, I don't know. I've actually never thought about that. It's mainly that I know that I can completely optimize a floor plan. Like we've purchased like a 3,200 square foot cabin that if I would have built that cabin, which we are building a cabin similar to it, a lot of the bedrooms are smaller living areas, yeah. smaller where you can, it's still a livable area, but you can optimize the floor plan. That's the biggest thing is you're potentially purchasing like almost like wasted square footage in some areas of a short-term rental compared sure. to when you're developing, you have complete control over that, which can save you money on the back end. So it really comes down to just getting most for your dollar, right? I want to make sure that every yeah. dollar per square foot I'm putting in is Absolutely. generating some type of outcome, not a a loft or some of those dead yeah. space areas. Yeah, yeah. That, that it's interesting, of- like with the treehouse idea. So the treehouses is like houses on stilts in the woods is essentially what that is. That they're marketed as treehouses. Almost any treehouse that you see now is essentially a house on stilts in the woods. Mm-hmm. And you can build a 400 square foot property, four or 500 square foot treehouse for even if you doubled the price per square foot, because you have to deal with like engineering costs with the foundation, everything those bring in anywhere between like four to 600 a night right now on the wow. term rental sites. So it's like, that's comparable with a million dollar cabin that we have yeah. right now, which commands the same type of rents. That's, so th- that's what I mean about optimizing like the uniqueness and the square footage. That's a great example. I mean, it's something like these smaller properties. What are the must-have amenities? That's something I still struggle with. Of like, what yeah. do you really invest? Like, is a cappuccino maker really going to bring Not in necessarily that a cappuccino maker? I like to do obviously a full bathroom, and when I say full bathroom, at least the shower. And we do all of our houses are permanent foundation stick built houses. You can do tiny houses and yurts and all that. We currently don't do that. That's just because there's an exit built in just in case the property doesn't work out. We could just sell it off to like someone who wants to live in it full time. But the way and our strategy for how we develop the property also plays into our exit. So all the properties have like just full kitchens. Essentially, the way we design the kitchen and the amenities that we provide is like imagine that like someone's coming in to cook a Thanksgiving dinner. That's essentially what we provide to the guests. It's a full range, full stove, everything that you can think of for a kitchen. And then just outside of that, I mean, just basic amenities like internet and just smart TVs. Honestly, what the draw to the property is, is the structure, like what the property looks like. That's, I like to say, Instagrammable property, someone who would be proud to put their property on Instagram or their social media. I like that a lot. I mean, what are you doing as far as marketing? Are you guys self-managing? Are you contracting that out? Yeah, yeah, everything is self-managed in-house. And then we're not stepping away from Airbnb and VRBO. I always tell my students that you want to look at Airbnb and VRBO as like another marketing arm to your business. It's not where your property or your business should live. Because if something happens to it, if something happens to your property and the Airbnb decides to take the guest side, which rarely happens, but it does, you don't want your property to exclusively live on either one of these channels. It's like any other business. Like you don't want your property to exclusive or your business to exclusively live on YouTube or Google. It's the same type of idea. So We've recently went into building out a direct booking site 
and sort of remarketing to some of our previous guests through our website. Mm -hmm. So the best way to do that is a company called StayFi. It's a little disk that plugs into the back of the router of your internet. It essentially creates a landing page for your internet. So the guest has to put in their email address to be able to get access to the internet. So the guest will come from Airbnb, VRBO. They'll come to our property. We'll get their contact info, just their email address, first and last name. And that's every guest in the property. We get their contact info. And then we remarket to them through email marketing campaigns directly to the direct booking site. That way we have complete control over our guest. Makes a lot of sense. I know, you know, again, being a VRBO user, you're kind of yeah. have to play by their rules. And if you don't like Absolutely. it, they decide to change their fee structure or the percentages or, you know, tack on or stuff. their algorithm in general. I know yes. Airbnb just had a massive redesign recently. So you're at the mercy of that, which yeah, is, again, yeah. not a bad thing, but it's just a marketing arm is what it should be looked at as. Interesting. So let's talk about your development process. How are you, let's start with the basic premise. How are you identifying the land or the area specifically? So yeah, let's step to the market first, the area. So when I'm working with people, what I always like to say is you can start in your backyard to a point. I don't recommend doing what I do in like metro areas because it obviously is going to be way busier. And usually like these type of properties don't fit in the metro downtown Mm -hmm. markets. But I like to tell students that I'm working with that you want to think of a market that people in your city like to take an extended weekend vacation to. So that's a market that's like an hour or two away. I like to give the two extreme examples here. You have on the East Coast, you have New York City. People drive to upstate New York all the time for weekend vacations. In California and San Diego, people will drive to Big Bear Lake all the time, no matter what time of the year to do an extended weekend vacation. It's the same thing. So that's how I would identify a market. If you're like, okay, I don't know where to do this. That would be step one. Step two is going to be if you're trying to figure out, okay, what type of unique property is unique to my area? That's simple. You can just hop on Airbnb's website and their front page is going to show you the top properties in your market. And you can sort of emulate some of those properties like, okay, these like modern contemporary stone houses might do well in my market. These A-frames with these type of color schemes might do well. So that's going to be property. And then when you're looking for land, the biggest thing is to think of access to the property. So when I say access, you want to be thinking about the entire guest experience, not just the experience of the guest staying at your property, but also the drive to and from your property. That's the whole guest experience. So what I like to say is you don't want your guests to be driving 30 minutes up a gravel road before they even get to your property. Sure. So like a lot of times the guests will be coming in at night. A lot of times the guest is going to be new to the area. Sometimes Mm -hmm. they might lose reception driving up to the property, no matter where they're driving to. So you don't want them to be scared or annoyed by the time they even step foot into your property. So we like to be off of like a double lane state maintained road or some sort of paved road that leads into our property. So that's the biggest thing is access. You want to be thinking about access and your entire guest experience. But that's sort of the three biggest things is market structure and then land, like how to analyze land. I want to go back to something you said earlier about when you go on VRBO or Airbnb and you see similar properties, you mentioned, hey, why not emulate them? You know, a lot of investors may say or property owners may say, hey, I want to differentiate myself. But your thought is kind of you don't need to do that. Is that accurate? Yeah. I mean, the way I look at it is, I mean, I think there's maybe that first A-frame we built, I think was the second A-frame in this market. It was definitely the nicest one in this market. But ever since then, there's been like six or seven, I would say, that even have been built ever since we built that first one. It hasn't affected our occupancy in any way. And I'm sure they're doing fine as well. Yeah, there's, I mean, you're already differentiating yourself when you're building a unique property right now. Like real estate development's a slow process. So don't get me wrong there, but it's like, 
I mean, if there's 10 other properties that are like, if you have the top property in the market and there's 10 other versions mm -hmm. of it in that same market, I don't see any issue why any of those properties wouldn't get booked because you're competing against all the other yeah. like similar, I mean, I'm not going to say normal looking properties, but like something that's like a property that doesn't really have anything unique about it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a huge believer and you don't even need to emulate the property that comes up in your market. Maybe you find something on Instagram that you're like, oh, that would be really cool in my market that I do that all the time. I'll screenshot and just like save it into a folder. Yeah. I think what's important too, is you pick an area that's hot. I mean, if any of us, even if you're not a property owner, if you've tried to book in, you know, Clearwater, Florida or Asheville, yeah. North Carolina, the you know, demand far exceeds supply. So to your point, yeah, and you then you just the slap way. a unique experience in that it's always going to do well. I don't like to use extremes like that, like always going to do it, but it more than likely is going to do well. Awesome. Yeah. So you've got the market selected, you've got an idea of what you want. Now, in terms of actually working with a builder, how are you finding a builder? How are you laying out the plans there? Yeah. I mean, you can just Google like tiny. So you can start by just, I feel like there's tiny house builders everywhere now. Yeah. So you can start there just Googling tiny house builder in my area. You might get like tiny houses on wheels and you might have to sift through a couple things. You can also look through specific like building associations. Some cities and counties have their own like mm -hmm. builders association, or you just can go on the national level, but that's one way to do it. Just making sure you get on the phone with them and tell them exactly what you're trying to build. Because some builders won't build an eight, 900 square foot A-frame. That might be too small for them. But getting with your local builder association is probably the biggest thing. And then on top of that, one thing that's been essential in our growth is working with a real estate agent that understands land. Because that's a completely different world is like purchasing yeah. and selling land that's different than a residential property, same way it's different than a commercial property. So getting with a real estate agent that I'm licensed in my state and I still use a real estate agent just because she's way better than me. Yeah. yeah. That's good stuff. As far as, you know, as we talked about finding the land, we talked about working with a property owner, what questions are you asking a developer to kind of screen one from another? Like, I mean, you talked about criteria of like, do you even work on my type of property or not? What else are you using to identify? Is it a right fit? Yeah. I mean, the experience, past experience of what they've built is essential, obviously, but also what their availability looks like. They might say yes, but they might be 18 months down the road. Now, yeah. with the current correction we're going through, it is getting a little better six, eight months ago. That's how it was yeah. They're given two year timelines and stuff. So that's the number thing is checking it. Like that's the, almost the very outside of their reputation. The very first question I asked is like, what's your availability? Can you start in three months? Can you start in six months? It's going to take you a couple months to get the loan on the property anyways, but can you start in three months and blah, blah, blah. And the second thing is, oh, this one's huge is I just hired a, the biggest GC in my area. And the very first question I asked him, I already knew his reputation. We already got past the question of what their availability is was what type of system do they use to manage the day-to-day -day property? So like the reason I hired my current GC that I'm using right now is he has a system that is updated right. on a daily, especially with me bring, I'm working with investors a lot now. They can plug directly into that where I don't have to ask any questions about updates. They can plug directly into that and see pictures and updates on what's happening on the property. That's huge. That it's like what huge. type of system to use. Or if they don't use a system, just like, what is my access to you? Like what level of communication am I getting on a weekly, bi-weekly, bi-monthly basis type thing? You can't understate how important that is, especially. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, it really, it can't be understated. So then I'm going to shift to my kind of third and final part of this is in terms of funding. Is this all coming out of pocket? Do you have investor network you work with? Do you have partners? What does your funding model look like? 
Yeah, so I started raising capital last year and I brought on a couple JVs that started with just friends initially where there were yeah. just like 50-50 deals, JVs. They brought all the money, they helped me guarantee the loan and then we got a construction loan. Now I'm working with a couple funds that used to be like in the multifamily space that are sort of dipping their toes into the short-term rental space. Yeah. I realized the best use of my time is content creation and putting together these deals. So I'm essentially a deal finder and operator for these funds. That's where I'm at when it comes to like people who are looking to do this by themselves, maybe just one or two properties. Mm -hmm. There are like funding sources out there for this. The three that I've seen and two of them I've used already is host financial Visio lending and center street lending. They'll do new construction, short-term rental loans on debt, like debt service coverage ratio loans, essentially on projected income, which is phenomenal. So that when it comes to the financing that you can go that route, we're playing around with getting a 7A SBA loan as well. There are certain SBA lenders that will allow for stuff like this as well. So that, I guess that's the big wow. answer for the financing piece. So a lot of options out there. There's no excuses for anybody listening. If you're yeah, yeah, part yeah, of your dream, you've got a lot of ways to pull if, it off. If you're looking to do it by yourself and like maybe you're not, you're far away from your market, or like I said, within an hour or so, you can get a second home construction loan. That one's a residential loan, and you'll probably get a really good rate on that as well. That's how I started. That first A-frame was a second home construction loan, where I just lived in an apartment and just essentially it was my quote unquote vacation home. Those lenders know that like when you're not living there or if you're just like, there's a certain amount of things you have to adhere to, but they understand that these properties are getting listed on short-term rental sites. Yeah, absolutely. So looking back at my notes here, I'm astounded by how much we've covered in the past 20 minutes. So for those listening, <laughs> want to learn more about yourself, your company, your YouTube channel, how do we get in touch with you? Yeah, so my YouTube channel is Alex Builds. It's just a little logo of a treehouse, a little blue treehouse. And then if you guys want to connect with me on LinkedIn, just Alex Strabo and just request it. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. And then we recently put together, or I say we, me, I recently put together <laughs> a short-term rental development course, essentially very briefly of what we just talked about here. I essentially created the course that I wish I had when I started six years ago. If I would have had this course, I probably would have saved like two, $300,000 at this point. Wow! But that one, I'm sure we're going to link it in the show notes, but you guys can just go to my website, which is just alexdrabo.com. And then it'll say free masterclass and it'll just walk you through the how to sign up for that course. Fantastic, man. That's a great offer. Take them up on that. Thanks so yeah, much for joining, buddy. I uh, appreciate it, brother. Thanks for listening in with us for another episode of the Crushing Cashflow Podcast. We have a small favor to ask of all of our listeners. Please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Each subscription and rating will help us massively toward our goal of helping reach as many listeners as possible each week. Thank you very much once again for listening. We're thrilled to have you with us as part of this journey, and we can't wait to share more of these stories with you. Stay tuned for much more to come.